Most people may recall their childhood as a time of innocence and warmth, safely hidden away from the realities of the adult world. We have memories of days spent riding bikes with neighborhood friends, mastering the jungle gym at the local park, or waking up early to catch the Saturday morning cartoons. If only it could be that way for all kids. For some, the idea of home is just a dream. According to the National Runaway Switchboard, between 1.6 and 2.8 million American youth run away every year. Carissa Phelps was one of them. I was very afraid, afraid of my stepfather, afraid of what might happen. And my mom wouldn't believe things that were happening in our house. And so it was a lot of chaos going on. And you didn't know if it was going to be a happy, fun moment or a terrible, abusive moment. And so I ran away from that and tried to rebuild something on my own. And it didn't work out. It was more dangerous on the streets than I had thought. I couldn't go to school because... There were people there that would call the police on me, that would turn me in, and I would be in trouble if I went to school. Eventually, Carissa ran out of places to stay and fell in with someone who offered a false sense of security. It turned out he was a pimp. But for many of the estimated 100,000 runaway kids who enter the sex trade each year in the U.S., it's the only option for survival. Well, I think children are looking for someone to protect them and care for them. And so when Icy came around, I had been on the run for a while, and I had had a proposition by a friend's uncle to take care of me if I took care of him. And I pretty much knew that meant I would have to be like his sex slave, and I didn't want to. And so when I tried to escape, Icy gave me a different proposition, and that was to go out and help him earn some money and be a part of more of like a family in a weird way and give him money that he could use to help this family. And it was really all about tricking me to give him money so that he could easily exploit me. If I stayed with friends, their parents would sometimes worry that they would get in trouble for harboring a runaway, whereas pimps and traffickers don't think about charges of harboring a runaway. They don't even think about charges of trafficking and pimping because it's such an easy crime for them to get away with. Carissa was eventually able to escape from her past, earning both a law degree and an MBA from UCLA. But how did she do it? She admits in her memoir, Runaway Girl, that she was extremely fortunate. As a 12-year-old, she found it hard to imagine any sort of positive future. It seemed like Carissa was destined for the California Youth Authority, a juvenile prison where she says young kids come back as hardened gangsters. But she ended up in a co-ed rehabilitation program at Wakefield, where she was treated as more than a disposable life simply to be locked up. Nobody who really sent me on a different course until I was in Wakefield and thinking still that the future for me was death or prison. And a counselor there named Ron Jenkins, who had grown up in South Central, who had lost brothers to gangs and to drugs, he's the first one that asked me what happened to me on the streets. And then I told him, first in journals and then talking to him. And then he helped me to get into therapy, things like group therapy where I could hear other little girls who had gone through similar things or worse. And I could see them and I cared for them and I thought they were important, nice people and helped me to look at myself more that way. Until she arrived at Wakefield, Carissa had been treated like a criminal, a prostitute, rather than a 12-year-old child who needed help. 
she never received attention for the physical and psychological damage from her time on the streets. There was a law enforcement response when I was picked up with ICE, and I should have had a medical response. I should have been taken to a hospital immediately, had a nurse talk to me, a social worker, a doctor examine me, and none of that happened. And for that, I suffered some permanent damage that could have been easily prevented. But while Carissa was able to get better at Wakefield, a lot of kids don't. It's not the home environment she believes kids need. She says damaged runaways don't get better in juvenile halls, group homes, and rehabilitation centers. Beyond Wakefield, I think the model program is coming out of Missouri, and it looks more like homes instead of like institutions, and there's a lot more consistency and not issued clothes but clothes that belong to them and just things that allow them to have their own identity. They don't have incidents of violence, and they actually teach the youth how to do restraints. The kids know that they're not there to fight each other, that they're there to grow and get out. Carissa had one person who believed in her and supported her, her old Wakefield counselor, Ron Jenkins. Carissa entered Continuation High School and took courses at the local community college. Now she advocates for runaways to always have the option for an education. Youth should be able to go to school and be a part of that and have their education, whether or not they're homeless or whether or not they're runaways. I think that calling the cops on kids when they come to school is discouraging them from coming to school. And probably as long as they're not disrupting school by being there, it's probably against the law is what I think. So for me, school was really like my hiding place where I was able to heal and learn and develop some social and emotional skills that would help get me through life. Yet today, Phelps can't stay away from the streets. Now she's drawn to help the runaway girls who are just like she was years ago. Carissa says sex trafficking needs to be treated as more than just a crime. Girls that are sex trafficked, that are trafficked, deserve a response that is smart. So we know a lot about domestic violence, and these young women are suffering from intimate partner violence, domestic violence. We know a lot about sexual assault and what happens to someone when they've been sexually assaulted. So they're suffering from that. They are raped usually multiple times in a night and could be very violent rape, but it's rape every single time. And they deserve us to come up with a better response than arresting them and charging them with prostitution, which is what we've been doing. And it fails every time. Carissa Phelps' book, Runaway Girl, Escaping Life on the Streets, One Helping Hand at a Time, is available in bookstores and online. You can find help for runaways at childrenofthenight.org or 1-800-runaway.org. Our writer-producer is Anu Kumar. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. Medical Notes this week. Pot smoking is a preferred form of recreation for a large number of pregnant teenagers. A report in the Annals of Internal Medicine finds that about 14% of pregnant 12 to 17-year-olds smoke marijuana, more than twice the proportion of those who are not pregnant. Marijuana use was much lower among pregnant women in their 20s and older. Studies show that babies of these teens may have long-term problems with thinking and addiction. About 20 million people, including a million law enforcement officers, practice target shooting, and a new study is warning of the danger of lead exposure at those shooting ranges. Firing lead bullets produces lead fragments and fumes. The result? The study in the journal Environmental Health finds that people who have been at the range may have a blood lead level that's eight times what's considered safe. Researchers advocate changing to copper bullets at shooting ranges. 
A major study shows that about 5 to 6% of people who have surgery keep filling pain medication prescriptions long after they should be pain-free. The study in the journal JAMA Surgery shows that the risk of chronic painkiller use is the same whether a person had major or minor surgery, but that the risk is higher among smokers, people with a drug or alcohol addiction history, or those who had been diagnosed with depression or anxiety. Opioid dependence can take hold in a matter of days. And finally, about 40% of salaried workers telecommute at least some of the time, but a new study in the journal Social Forces finds that people who work at home end up doing more work for no more pay. Researchers say people who telecommute at least some of the week work an average of three hours more per week than their strictly office colleagues, taking away from home and family time. Researchers say those who work at home may feel more pressure to demonstrate they're productive. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. June is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month. A new survey from the Alzheimer's Association shows that two out of three caregivers feel isolated in their situation, and 84% would like more support. Beth Kallmeyer, Vice President of Constituent Services for the Alzheimer's Association, says too often families leave the caregiving to just one person. With over 15 million Americans providing unpaid care for somebody with Alzheimer's or dementia, this survey shows how badly we need to help these individuals in their caregiving. Caring for someone with dementia is too much to ask of a single care provider. As life expectancy grows, the number of individuals with Alzheimer's will grow, and so will the need for care providers. We want to help individuals and families plan their caregiving and be better prepared to navigate the emotional and financial burden of Alzheimer's. The Alzheimer's Association invites caregivers and family members to call its 24-7 helpline at 800-272-3900 or explore their resources at alz.org. That's alz.org. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.